0: Welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode, I have two guests on the show Adam Fight from adamfight.com and Bobby Smith of Reach Your Potential Training, also known as RIP which is located in New Jersey in the USA. On this episode, Adam, Bobby, and I discussed many topics, including Adam and Bobby's backgrounds, Adam and Bobby's biggest influences, both personal and professional, the good and not-so-good things that both Adam and Bobby see within the physical preparation profession, and what solutions they would offer for the not-so-good things that they are currently seeing. Bobby lays out Rip's Seven Commandments, Bobby and Adam lay out RIP's training system. Why the guys feel training max velocity mechanics at the beginning of any athlete's speed development is very important. The guys give their top resources to all of the listeners. The guys give their top advice to all of the listeners. And finally, if the guys could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would they invite and why? Guys, this was an outstanding episode with Adam and Bobby, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Okay, uh, Bobby Smith and Adam Fight. Absolute pleasure, gentlemen, to have you on a podcast. Actually, this is the first time I've ever done a a, a three way podcast. So, uh, yeah,
1: usually you pay extra for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll have to uh, we'll have to get the currency converter out between euro and yeah. dollar. So uh, that's a good way to start the show. So this is definitely explicit already. I like it. Uh, guys, uh, listen, um, obviously most podcasts start with backgrounds, so, like, let's get into the backgrounds, um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of listeners who will know who, uh, Adam is, and Bobby is as well, and, and you guys, and in terms of rips, um, I relearned really about you, actually, Adam, I've known about you for a long time through Kyle Holland, he said he'd met you, I think, when he did some interning with Joe Cam, maybe back Oh, there.
2: Kyle Holland,
0: Yeah, yeah, because wow. I, because I interned and worked at Boyle, so I, I know Kyle well. Um, yeah, and then obviously Mary, you, and obviously Mary Kate. I think uh, she she obviously was she interned at Boyle's did she, at some stage?
2: She was with so my wife Mary Kate. I think she worked with Coach Boyle for about ten summers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She was there, I mean, I don't know if she was one of the original originals, but she was there when, you know. She's not far Coach off, Boyle anyway.
0: Yeah, she's not far off. Walter she...
2: Norton were coaching yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and her, Garnet, so.
0: Garnet and Walter were there, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah she was Bo- Bobby will
2: tell you, anytime we go see Coach Boyle, you know, like, we've we've had the opportunity to go up and see him a few times, but anytime we're up there, we just say we know Mary-Kate and they treat us like royalty. so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's a legend. A lot, a lot to be thankful for, uh, you know, my wife and her relationship into sports performance, and that's actually how we kind of met, because uh, I was an undergrad and she was the graduate students and uh, I had gone on to be a graduate assistant coach, and we had just started talking once we were both in master's programs. And you know, when you have a common denominator and it's training and performance, you know, you're gonna have some interest, so yeah, that kind of set the stage there.
0: All right, so I mean, uh, let's get into the backgrounds then. And as I always say, you know, probably most of the listeners will have some idea who you guys are. So, I mean, Adam or Bobby, Peter, one of you guys want to go first? Fire ahead.
2: yeah, Adam, hit it off, man. All right, so uh, you know, Robbie, how do you want to do this? You want to go working backwards or kind of how that all started anyway
0: any once so like how, why strength and condition what got you into fitness i mean mm. you know and then maybe your career like who who yeah. you've gone through like i know you spent five years in the collegiate setting was it one year in the nfl now you've been ripped now going on six years would it be now or in around that Man,
2: it's been it's been quite the journey yeah so i think like most coaches i'm not gonna you know, generalize and say everybody had this epiphany that they were lifting weights as a kid and that was all that they were good at and they found strength and conditioning. But, you know, mine was pretty similar to most coaches in the field. You know, they started training early on in middle school or high school. And for me, it was really having that moment of, you know, what's next, because I was really at loss for a career. And so this was, you know, let's go back to senior year of high school, junior year, you know, you're trying to figure yourself out what type of school to go to, et cetera. And I actually was, you know, playing football for the high school, broke my arm, had a season ending injury. I mean, life is ending like every other 17 year old in the world. Like what, what's life worth living if you don't have, you know, you can't play football. And so fortunately You know, as a common theme in my life, I had a great support system, and actually one of them was our athletic trainer and just spending a lot of time with him, just watching practice and trying to figure things out. Long story short, he had recommended strength conditioning, and I had never really heard of it as a profession, Mm -hmm. and he kind of said, look, there's a great school right down the road, you know, at Springfield College. I'd grown up in Western Massachusetts, and... The more research I had done, found out it really was kind of "quote unquote" the cradle of coaches. You've got guys like Coach Mike Boyle and you know uh, Coach Mike Wojciech from you know who was with the Patriots for a number of years, and then Dallas and so forth. So, you know, it worked out from there. And then I was one of the very few that knew exactly what he wanted to do. I was going to be a Division One head strength conditioning coach, and that's what I came in as as an eighteen year old freshman. And everything I did, you know, throughout that academic career, was to get me closer to that goal. And so I did a multitude of internships, uh, University of Connecticut, the U.S. Olympic Training Center. I got done in three and a half years, shot over to the U.S. Olympic Training Center Mm -hmm. and worked with track and field, uh, a lot of the winter sports that were there for developmental camps. And when I got done, it was like, hey, what do I do now? You know, apply for grad school, et cetera. And turned out, you know, I said, let's get some more coaching experience. So I went out to Arizona State on my own dime to work with, you know, Coach Joe Ken, who's now with the NFL's Carolina Panthers and really just was the catalyst for moving my career in the direction that it went because that opened up a a ton of networking opportunities, a lot of advanced, intricate program design, and it was a really, you know, unique experience. And so, you know, that was 2007. That brought me over to the Citadel. I did a 10-month quick graduate assistantship over there with uh, at the time, it was Donnell Boucher and myself as the graduate assistants. Yeah. And I ended up getting promoted and taking a restrictive earnings position at the University of Louisville. And Donnell's been there ever since. And now was an associate athletic director He'd been running the program for over 10 years. So it's been really great to watch his program evolve and develop. And I just kept moving. So two years at the University of Louisville, their football team, Joe Ken had moved over from Arizona State to there. And uh, unfortunately, after a tough losing couple of seasons, you know the staff got let go. And uh, fortunately, I was the only strength coach to be retained and one of two total coaches on the football staff to be retained. And so a new staff had come in. I had a great opportunity to become a head strength coach, right? Life goals. That's what you do. And you take that opportunity. So at 24, I, I left and became the head strength condition coach at Eastern Michigan University. And that was a whirlwind of experiences, learning and administration and going from football only to, you know, 20 plus varsity teams. Wow. And that was a short year there, too. And, you know, calls just kept coming in and just kept doing your job. So at that time, got an opportunity to join the NFL and, you know, made my way there. And, you know, a lot of things, everything was just kind of like in full throttle mode. Everything was just go, 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 go. And I think at the same time, things were also trying to slow down. Uh, my girlfriend became my fiance, she became my wife, we ended up getting married, we bought a house, we got pregnant, we were starting a family. And so, you know, that year was a lot of reflection on kind of where's our career going? Yeah. What is the purpose? What are our priorities? And, you know, we decided that this wasn't going to be the place for us at this time. And, you know, we're going to we're gonna figure it out. That's what we've done, you know, thus far. So, you know, that brought me to, uh, to Bobby and I'll let him tell a story on that because I think he tells it the best. But, uh, you know, believed in us and gave my wife and I an opportunity to join him and his wife of creating something from nothing and turning it into a you know an international brand and really let me be a part of that. So it's been a great five years and, and Bobby and I have been, you know, still working on some projects, but recently, you know, my wife had an opportunity of a lifetime to head back to school and seen get that I've seen, the,
0: seen the picture you put on Facebook.
2: Yeah, that's like epic likes, man. That's like the most ever, like 600. It's crazy. You know, you throw a 34-year-old on there in a the first day of school and people <laughs> people love it. So, so we're kind of in that life stage now. You know, yeah. there's a number of years to uh, she's packed up and, you know, did what was best for the family. And this was an opportunity we couldn't refuse. And, you know, Bobby was super supportive and understanding. So... So we're there right now, and you know we stay in touch and continue to work on projects from remote, obviously as you can see. But uh, you know, excited for the future and and what she can do. And you know, at the time, I'm going to take some classes on the side too and see what can happen in the next few years. So, so where
0: where are you guys currently? You and so right now
2: we're in. Western Massachusetts, where it all started, so uh, taking some classes at Springfield College in Springfield, so mm. about 90 minutes west of uh, Boston.
0: Well, I know Springfield, well, um, I, I've, I've, I, have a few, I have a lot of friends that went there, um, one guy, James Collins from Ireland, uh, uh, real quick digression story, Mike was over here in 2014 doing Strength Coach 5, in, like re, just interested, Mike, this is James, he's a big fan of yours, he'd love to go to Springfield, and Mike goes, here's my email, email me I, Monday morning when I'm back in Boston, and then Mike emails, what's the head professor, his name's just escaping me. A Springfield. Oh,
2: Brian Thompson, right
0: now. Doctor Thompson, that's it. Yeah, Doctor uh, Thompson. Mike Boyle just emails Doctor Thompson. Uh, Doctor Thompson, this is James Collins. He's applying for a uh, master's, and then about two and a half weeks later, I get James on the phone in tears, like crying with would, would happiness. So he goes, "Mike got me in. Mike got me in. I can't believe it." <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, uh, "Who, who, who is this?" And he goes, "It's James." And I was because I got a new phone at the time, so I had new numbers. <clears throat> and he was like, "You got me in. You got us." So I didn't get you in. He goes, "Well, Mike got me in." So it was, it was unreal. Like he, he was delighted. He's at uh, Kansas City soccer now, so he is. Oh, that's
2: awesome! Yeah, oh, yeah, it's 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 crazy, and it and it's good to be back. You know, we uh, my wife's teaching the resistance training classes for the undergrads, and taking some classes for her teaching administration degree. But you know, just being around in that environment and seeing the culture develop, and kind of swapping some stories with the new coaches, yeah. uh, it's gonna be fun. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not blowing the whistle every day anymore, but you know. Uh, Things happen, and everything always works out if you if you give it the best you
0: can. Some, so. event, some adventure you've had so far in your life, holy crap, you've done a lot. Yeah, so
2: that's just kind of what happens. you know. I think we spend a lot of time trying to plan everything. You don't remember like, being in school. What's your three-year plan? What's your five-year
0: plan? Oh, what do you see fuck. yourself in ten years? Like that saying, eh. if you, if you want to make the universe laugh, tell it your plans. Oh,
2: man, it's like, and it's like programming. I mean, we'll probably talk about it, but literally, like, we spent, I can't tell you how many nights I lost sleep on, like, trying to find the perfect periodization program and the plan. Yeah, yeah. And guess what? The, you know, the kid, Bobby and I were just talking about it before we hopped on. Like, you think everything's awesome, and then the team comes in, and you just have to throw it out the window. Yeah. And I think that's what, coaching is is a lot of shooting from the hip and going off the script, but yeah. you got to know how to write the script before you can go off of it. Yeah. So that's kind of how, like, my life's been working, but. No complaints here, man. Everything happens for a reason.
0: All right, Bobby Smith, the microphone. Yes, is, the microphone finally, is Adam here.
2: always steals the show. So,
1: uh, My background started, you know, I was a high school athlete, three-sport athlete, and, you know, I got a letter in the mail saying, you know, love what you've been doing on the field. We feel like we can help you come to our facility. So it was about my junior year in high school where I got a letter from a sports performance facility saying, you know, come try out our program. And then next thing you know, I'm there three times a week seeing the results, seeing the benefits. And then right there and then I knew, like, this is what I wanted to do after my athletic career. So from there, I am, you know, I was a slow white running back, so not many universities wanted me. And I was like, I'm going to college to play football, and I want to be a running back. And Monmouth University was really the only university that wanted me to play running back. Everyone was like, hey, you could come play linebacker for us. And I was like, no, I'm a running back. So I went to Monmouth University. I was a two-sport athlete there, captain of the football team. You know, we won a couple conference titles. Uh, Track and field, I was an All-American javelin thrower. Really saw some success there. But the biggest thing is I was battling four major injuries there. I tore my ACL. I tore my meniscus. Had Tommy John surgery in my elbow. And then uh, broke my ankle my senior year. And the biggest things I saw through that four- or five-year process is, you know, I wasn't training properly. I was training like a powerlifter. I was training like a football player. And after, you know, I, my senior year, my fifth year, I became the All-American. I was like, I want to continue on throwing the javelin. So I got into an Olympic development program with Tom Puskius. They paid for me to go to five meets. They paid, you know, Tom looked over my programs, and he was like, hey, if you're going to stay in New Jersey— you gotta go train with Martin Rooney. I was like, "All right, yeah." So I went up. He's about forty-five minutes from where I was at. Really started training with Martin, and that's where my eyes like kind of exploded. Where I was like, "This is completely different than anything I've done before." Was this
0: was this in preseason, Bobby?
1: Yeah, it was in preseason, Fairlawn. And I was training with Martin two times a week, and it was just like he started making me an athlete. And that's when I started to learn how to start to move properly. And it was just like the icing on the cake at first, and then I started going around and seeing what other coaches I really wanted to put all my time and effort to for 2008, and then I moved out to California and trained with Todd Reich, and there was a training group out there with Sean Fury and a couple other javelin throwers, and that's when I started to learn how to become a track and field athlete. Mm. I was fortunate enough to win the 2008 Olympic trials, but I didn't throw far enough to go to the Olympics, but that got me into the Olympic Training Center. And there I started training under Dan path. And that's when I started to learn how to run. And this is when I was like, man, this is what I wish I learned when I was in high school, college, learning how to run, learning how to move, learning how to be an athlete instead of now, here I am, later on in my career, finally learning these movements. And I knew right there and then this is what I want to teach high school athletes. I want to teach them how to run. I want to teach them how to become better athletes. Yeah. From there, then I moved back to New Jersey, started training with an Australian coach. She Flew out, lived with me for a while. I was training full-time, training some athletes on the side. 2011, I tore my ACL. That was my fifth surgery, and I was like, you know, it's not my time anymore. Tried to, you know, I hung up my javelin spikes. And then my wife, she was actually in two sports performance facilities. This was the second one that closed down because of poor management, and we're like, I was like, listen, let's go for it. Let's open up our own facility. You know, I met with, you know, Bill Parisi, tried to see if we were going to do the whole Parisi's thing, and I just knew, like, that was a great system, but I knew I we could do better. I knew I could do something different. Mm. And then I put out an ad at the NSCA, got, like, 120 coaches, and we were looking for facilities, and we found the right facility. And what I wanted was ideally 60 yards so we could do time 40s and a wall to throw med balls. And that's the, we found this perfect facility. And right there and then I was like trying to get the coaches, you know, you put an ad out and people really don't read it. They just see a job and they just shoot you a resume and you're like, this person didn't even read the ad. So you get like 10 actually that are actually somewhat decent. And I knew I had two candidates. They really didn't stand out. So then I put another ad out and then I, that's when I got Adam's resume I think it was like a Thursday, and I just rang him up, and I was like, what are you doing this weekend? Come on out. And he's like, what? And I was like, all right, let's fly out. Him and Mary Kate flew out, and I just showed him the vision of the gym. There was nothing on there. There was not even paint on the walls. It was empty. And I was like, this is what I want to do. This is my vision. This is, you know, what I feel like we could do together coming up. You know, like, this isn't my show. This is our show. And we developed it and i knew right there and then you know adam says it i didn't sell it to him that weekend but i knew i had him
0: <laughs> that's great stuff and and the the um the seminar that you guys put on in conjunction with uh, Pat feet like that 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 is your facility that a lot of the filament is in isn't it
1: yes correct yeah, yeah so we the- opened up day 1 with 16,000 square feet whoa yeah 6000 of turf 6000 of floor and then the rest is office and it was like I had seven athletes so when I was doing my training I would basically hand pick my wife's athletes because she works mainly with high school athletes so I had seven studs like two of them went on to University of North Carolina two went on to Duke, Syracuse uh, Villanova, BCU, and I just had seven studs and I knew what they were doing I was getting them better but I knew my strengths I knew my limitations like I was a teacher that's what I got my degree in. so Program design is not my background, and I knew what I needed and that was with the beauty of you know with Adam is that we worked really or worked really well together because this is your area of strength you're going with it this is my area and then we have a couple areas that we help each other out with and that was the beauty of working with one another
0: it's great stuff I mean great stories and just just uh, I suppose that uh, Bobby uh, uh... Just while you were touching on it there, you know, see seven athletes, six hundred thousand square foot facility. I know that there's going to be some possible facility owners listening to this, and I suppose they may want to ask, like, what was kind of your mindset at that stage? I mean, because it's scary. Yeah, no doubt. That is scary. Like, was it like in terms of obviously there must have been days where you were like, I can do this, like belief wise, and. Like, yeah, so, like, what, what, can you remember what your mindset was back at that early stage? It's like, shit, like, you know, I've gone so far, now I can't go back, and it's 16,000, and right. know, Adam's shaking his head there, too. He's like, I remember this as well.
2: <laughs> I don't want to remember right. those days. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I know, like,
1: we had that first spring, we had 40 athletes, and the summer, we had, like, 100-plus, and we're like, all right, we're doing it, definitely. Yeah. And that fall hit, and we had 23 athletes, and we're like, holy shit, we are fucked. You know, like... 23 athletes for three months, or so like we're not going to make it, and then that winter hit, and then we went up to 100 plus. But the difference, or what makes this facility unique, is that my wife's business is the main leaseholder. So, like the pre-C model, they have the health club because sports performance is so seasonal. You know, winter, summer, we're rolling, spring and fall, we just want to get through it. And the beauty of physical therapy is they're going to be busy year-round because every athlete is going to get hurt. Yeah. But what makes my wife's business unique is that they only see high school, college, and active-minded adults. So they're not getting geriatric in there. You're not going to be doing leg lifts next to an 80-year-old mom that, or grandma that hurt her knee. Yeah. It's just like a college training room. That's what it is. And that's what makes it unique, as in we just paid my wife's business rent. So she was the main leaseholder. She had the steady income coming. Then that allowed us to build up. And, this, you know, Ab and I just looked at each other and, like, we had no business backgrounds. And we're like, what are we going to do? We're like, we're just going to coach our athletes hard. We're going to make them better people. And they're going to start referring their friends to us.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's
1: how it all started building up.
0: Yeah, and just going off that, um, the next question I was asked about influencers, which I'll ask in a second about you guys. But just going off that in terms of coaching your athletes up. I, uh Adam, I started to, I've to. i watched both of your guys' presentations from the 2016 Complete Speed and Power Summits, so excellent stuff, and obviously we'll touch into like some of your progressions in terms of your, your jumping and your plyometrics because I know you released that complete jumping system, which I actually have, and I, I've, only, I've only watched through it once, I feel I need to watch through that maybe two or three times to get, because I like to get yeah, good Yeah,
1: definitely, deep. three, come on now.
0: Yeah, I like to get good deep questions, you know, and ask good questions. You can always tell on the podcast when you're like, a host gets someone on, and they didn't read their book, and they didn't, and they're just like, your questions are shit. Right, you yeah. gotta do your homework. <laughs> exactly, you know. So. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah that's happened quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? Uh, but it just, uh, I, I've watched the first half hour of your presentation, Adam, from that, and how you started off was so funny. You are like, "Right, everyone get up, change seats, shake hands. If you came with five coaches from your facility, get away from them. And like, you were trying to make the point that networking is so powerful, and then this, you got into like, basically, and Bobby, you'll probably agree with this as well, like, really, like, coaching is just. Uh, the, the means that we're facilitating people's potential in their lives through you know so uh, uh um, and you guys really touched on that, so just going back off that, you were like, well, we don't know business, but we'll just coach our asses off. And from that, we're going to really facilitate the growth and development of these young people's lives through coaching. Um, you know, right? if they get better as an athlete, if they get better in a sport, that's great. But really, we want to help these people reach their potential as human beings. So, I mean, even just that mindset, if you just, it's kind of like I think Joe and Buddy Morris often say, don't think about the next job. Worry about what you're worry about where you are right now, and if you do a great job, good things will come and happen. So maybe if yeah. you guys just wanted to touch on that, bit like networking, one thing, and then the other thing is like really focus on developing the human being, not just the athlete.
2: Absolutely. Well, I want to I want to touch on the networking piece a bit, and going back to coaching our tails off, and I'll, hopefully Bobby can touch on you know our holistic model, of, you know why we care so much, but the whole networking piece is is an outcome of a behavior, right? So if if you're going out there as a young coach and you're like, I'm just here to meet as many people as I can because I want them to help me at some point in my life, you're looking at it wrong. And so when I looked at coaching and when Bobby and I got together with zero business experience, I mean, I was exercise science thick and through like bachelor's, master's, Bobby was education. The continuity, the foundation of both of those is obviously relationships and commitments and just communication. And so what ended up happening was if we coached better, if we coached harder, if we coached how we would want to be coached, then those kids would enjoy the process. They would enjoy their time there. And then they would tell their friends and then their friends would tell their coaches and then they would have something to talk about at the dinner table. And then sure enough, all of a sudden that dinner table is now filled with a parent who just happened to run three or four companies and was worth a couple million dollars. And then because of the impact that we had on his or her daughter's life, right, now they want to meet with us. Then they believe in a couple guys that are just, you know, not just slinging weight around and screaming at kids. We're we're taking the time to know them. Mm. And so that opened up tons of doors. That opened up doors for an opportunity for us to find a t-shirt guy so we could give out our t-shirts for free as advertising and to to give gear that our kids were proud to wear. That opened up opportunities for us to find an audio visual guy in digital arts to help with our advertising. And then it became business strategy where we ended up meeting with, you know, a very successful person who whose son is an incredible athlete, who is now a starting offensive lineman for the University of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And so I always go back to that about You know stepping outside your comfort zone because you have to think big picture and like you said if you worry about the next job you're not going to be taking care of the current job and guess what you're probably going to lose that current job because you're so focused on the next job and regardless of what happened and how it hashed out there was always a priority we meet as a staff every day we talk about the expectations if anything you coach with your hair on fire you let the kids know you, you care you connect with them on a different level Because spending so many years in professional and college athletics, you don't get that opportunity. Mm. They're just there to play their sport. They're at 6 a.m. lift. They want nothing to do with it. At the youth level, they want to be there. At least they should. And our job as role models and educators and motivators and inspirers and however you want to look at it always came down to that. So the networking piece, do your job. Do your job. You're there to coach. You're there to build connections. That other stuff will come into play.
0: Yeah, big time, big time. And then I suppose the second piece then is… Obviously, you know, again, co- using coaching as the means to facilitate growth and development in our athletes and help them to reach their potential as humans, and and again the whole caring aspect. We've all heard the saying, "No one, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care." That kind. Of thing. But you guys really seem to, from from the the hands-on components in the complete speed summit, uh, the two thousand sixteen ones. Now I've seen, uh, you could really see that you guys are like, like you guys were like so dialed in. It was like. You know, you didn't let anything slide. Like I think there was one part, Adam, in your one, where you were like, uh, you were like two claps and the claps were like, and you were like, oh, two claps. You do it again, like, you know, so it was really, really good. And uh even Bobby, your your own was very funny because there was a few like of those uh change of direction drills and they would go through the wrong cone and you were like, right, we gotta redo it again. Uh yeah. And you guys get you, you gave Coach Kyle an awful lot of this, this guy Kyle, cause the young fella Coach <laughs> Kyle, who's in your jumping DVD too. He's like, Coach Kyle, Co- how many demonstrations did he do that day? Holy shit. I was like, he's gonna have fucking doms the next day from all miles deceleration work, but uh he moves <laughs> well, he, he's a good athlete, that guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so maybe just, uh, Bobby, uh, touch on maybe the the you know the, how important it is to, to care more so about the athlete rather than just obviously getting athletes in the door to just pay rent. Obviously, it's, it's, if you're connecting that human level, the business aspect will look after it. And that's kind of where this question started because you guys are like, we don't know business, but if we coach our asses off and really care, it'll, it'll work right. out. And you know,
1: Adam and I have done some consulting with other you know uh, coaches and they're always like, I need to get more athletes in here. I need to get more athletes in here. And we always just thought of that's going to happen. Let's care about the athletes and take care of the athletes that are in our facility. You know, we can't control that there's only four athletes at our group right now. But what we can control is making these four athletes feel extremely special. Yeah. We care about them. They're enjoying our show, that and that we're entertaining them and they're getting better at the same time, but they're having fun. And then it's going to build up. So if you're always worried about oh, I need more athletes, I need more athletes, how am I going to get more athletes? You're not going to get them because you're not worried and caring about the athletes that are in your facility at that time. Yeah, that's And that's just the same thing that goes back to what we were talking about. Don't worry about the other job. Worry about what you're doing right now yeah. and worry about how can I get these four athletes as strong and as fast and as quick and as possible because that's how I'm going to get more athletes in. Yeah. And that's always the big thing is like, you know, you can tell like sometimes we had you know just had our interns in and when the group size wasn't as big, the energy wasn't as there.
0: Drops. And
1: it's like, no. And then you see we had Coach Kyle in there, and I'm kidding, in the office, I'm hearing him screaming at the top of his lungs. And I look out there, and he had one athlete. And I was just like, that's why the kid's awesome, because he brings the energy, he brings the juice, no matter who he's coaching. It's the same exact show, it's the same exact ripped system or experience every single time. And that's
0: where we got to get to. Yeah, it's it's. And listen, uh, I would say this as a flawed coach and human being in every way. Like we talk these great talks and grand gestures, but there has been times not out in our careers where our standards probably even drop below our, our own. But it is this concept of always trying to make sure your standards are as high as possible. Like I remember one that when I read a Tony Robbins' book a while ago, and he's you know it kind of smacked me in the face at the particular time I was at in my life, and he was like, you know. Man up, demand more standards from yourself, first of all, rather than others, and that kind of hit me, he's like, he's right, you know, you need to demand more standards of yourself, first and foremost, before you can start demanding of others, and yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that is true, and and another mentor of mine, James Fitzgerald, he would always use this phrase, like, people can smell it off you, as in, like, you're superficial, you know, the su- being, being superficial... Right. So, like, if you're out there and you're coaching and, like, you know, it's four athletes and you're real, like, yeah, whatever, it's four athletes. Or, or you know, I want more athletes because I just want money. It's like people smell that off you. Like, it's duplicity. Like, you're just real ingenuine into their face. Like, oh, yeah, how's this? How's life getting on? It's great. And uh, where's your brother and sister? Right. They're not coming anymore. You know, it's like, oh, I'm losing money. So, yeah, it is really just really about being, you know, authentic as much as you can. So...
1: Well, you have to be genuine and like what we call is like coach mode. Like when we're in coach mode, that's when we're coaching with our hair on fire. Mm. That's who we are, but that's not who we are when we're at home. Like kids are always like, man, are you like this all the time? And I'm like, no.
0: I'm <laughs> I fucking hope, I like hope not. I hope yeah. not how many Starbucks he's had. Yeah, yeah, because so. yeah. your energy is just uh, <laughs> uh, like outrageous. What well, it was, you know, you're just like the whistling. Of, you know, it was unreal. Like, like
1: I just had a class the other day and it's like, There's 12 girls in there, six of them are brand new freshman girls, and it's like, that's like, that's where I love it the most, because now I can sell them or put on that show for four years, if I do it right, I have them for four years, and they're so bad, that's the thing, they come in here, they can't hinge, their knees are coming in, they can't jump, but they're athletic, so it's like, man, I'm going to make these girls so much better, and that's what just gets me fired up. And yeah, I'm, like, yeah. looking at the returners, and I'm, like, looking at these freshman girls, and I'm, like, they have no idea. Like, yes, I'm like this all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I, love when you get the- I love when you get those athletes. I've often got, like, you know, a few young guys in over here in Ireland. And, like, I use the FMS, like, or that's a, whatever, but, like, just initial screen. Don't want to get the whole fucking discussion on. Jeez, the amount of times. Anyway, we're beyond that. But, you know, when I screen them, and if they move really, really well, and like, yeah. they're they're athletic and you know that they're hungry and it's just like, it's like when the athlete turns around like to get a drink of water and you're like this behind them. Yes. yes. Right, yeah. And I'm so excited to train this motherfucker. Yes. Uh, He's weak
1: as piss and I'm going to
0: make him so much stronger. Yeah, so right. it's great. Listen, uh, yeah. just, we, we, we won't get too much covered if we keep going on. So just in, in terms of your, I love asking this question because it really, it opens me up to more people to know more people but in terms of your influences on both of you guys and I don't limit this just to professional influences I also like to ask you about their personal influence obviously like family and all like that but in terms of both professional and personal influences in your lives who have been the the biggest impacts on both of you
2: start off coach that's a good question man you know I think you bring up a good point in terms of you know is it just a guy that we follow on facebook is it a social media guru is it somebody that we aspire to work for or work with and i think it's over it's always evolving mm. right if you ask if you ask me this let's see so i'm 32 now so let's just put me back 10 years i'm a graduate assistant coach trying to figure it all out i would have told you everybody that i read on elite fitness right so guys like dave tate and joe ken and uh, Chris Doyle from University of Iowa, like Staples, because I think you, you put yourself in a mode of just knowledge, that's all that matters, right? And then you get older and you start to really come into yourself in terms of who you are as a person, what you value and what your priorities are. Yeah. And so some of those mentors may you know, be from church or an uncle that really spent a lot of time with you to get to know you as a person when things at home were bad, right? And then all of a sudden you become a father. And so now you're looking at things from a completely different lens. And so, you know, while mine has has remained pretty steady throughout the years, I think it is important to recognize that, you know, it's going to be ever changing. And you as a coach, you know, Bobby and I always go back to like the complete athlete, right? Like the complete program, the complete guide. Everything is a factor of so many different things. And it's important for the people in your relationships and influences to reflect that too. So... You know, if you, if you say now, my biggest mentors are, you know, is my wife and my kids because everything comes down to them. And I think as young coaches, we often get scared about what people think of us,
1: yeah. um,
2: their opinions of us, and you get old and you realize none of that matters. It matters what my son thinks of me. It matters what my daughter thinks of me. It matters what my wife thinks of me. And if I can't take care of that, I can't be a great coach. So it comes down from the family front, you know, uh, having great support through, you know, me being back home now is a, a very good thing to be around a lot of people that mean the most to me. So, you know, but in the field, I, I spent a lot of time working with a lot of coaches. That was the benefit of kind of getting promoted and going along the way. But, you know, Springfield College was, you know, my mentors there, my peers. I think that was a big thing that we forget too the people that grind with us, mm. that we talk about on group me and Slack and instant messaging. And it's just like, oh, my God, can you believe they made me do this? And You know, there's something to be said about the people that you go through the fire with. And so, you know, all the people that i had done internships with, uh, graduate assistantships, you know, all the coaches I've worked with have been instrumental. And then, you know, the people that I I worked with and worked for, you know, guys like Joe Ken and and Brian Dermody and, you know, the readings of, you know, guys like Coach Michael Boyle. And, you know, as I got older, you know, getting into more of like Lee Taft things and stuff. So it's been very uh, holistic in nature and, been pulled from a lot of directions and even authors, you know, uh, John Gordon, John Maxwell, John Wooden, you know, all these things. So, you know, my advice for that is to not just seek for what you're seeing on the internet. Don't just get caught up in the weight room, but really take a, a good inventory in your life and figure out how is this person adding value to my life in one dimension or another? I think that's really important. And if I can get more coaches to understand that earlier on, yeah, you know, we'll probably see more coaches in the field for a longer period of time instead of
0: getting burned out. So just just before Bobby answers there, it's it's uh, it's interesting you bring up your wife and your kids because people think, how can your kids be an influence on you? But I know James Fitzgerald, I've already mentioned already, he's, he's a very important mentor to me and, a, and also a friend. Um, J- James has often said, like, you go through your life where you, you're being mentored, but you also have mentees, and it's kind of like, and he's like he's like people at a certain stage in your life might be a mentor to you now but they could be at a later stage in your life so it's all this dynamic flux and there's a great book called the celestial prophecy and and uh, it's a it's a fictional tale like but it's a great book um, and one of the the sort of themes for the book is that every time you have an interaction with any any person or individual it's, it, it, there's a reason for it, like there's something to be learned no matter who it is or or, or what happened, whether it, it was judged to be positive or negative, whether it's an old person or a child, there's something to be learned from every interaction, so I suppose it's, because it's, when you say influences, most people, they always think about like an older person mentor that, that kind of distilled a bit of their beliefs on them, but it's like, no, you can be influenced by a four-year-old up to like a 90-year-old, again, it's just kind of your perception of the situation, so you... Yeah. So and it's, and it's two things
2: kind of build yeah. on that. So uh, like another great book uh, is called One Minute, One Minute Mentoring by Ken Blanchard, and mm. I believe her name is Claire Diaz Ortiz. But that's the same principle is you've got this older, wiser you know person with a little bit more experience, and you've got that younger generation, right? Yeah. So you can call it Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, and then you've got the old people. But older coaches have to keep that mentoring process too. It's a two-way street Exactly. you know what when Bobby and I started you know ripped it was like all right we'll figure out Twitter I've never really used it and um, you know what Instagram and social media this and that and then all of a sudden we're trying to do everything and then we've got younger coaches that are like no no it's about the hashtags it's about the emojis it's about the snapchat stories and so they're teaching us and so that's really really important and I think you know being around them and being open to that I think that's what creates a great leader is you can learn from everybody and that's your athletes our athletes taught us and continue to teach us so much about who we are changing our programs yeah yeah, they,
0: yeah i know that, that. So i know that myself yeah yeah the, the people that at least you train or, or they teach you just as much because you're always like well that's not working and that made me a better right. coach absolutely so but bobby in terms of your influences
2: yeah
1: i mean tough to follow that one up thanks coach but uh yeah i mean you know you have the uh you never realize how good your parents are until you become a parent, and you realize how well that they developed you and made you, and how good of a father you really had, and mother. And you know, definitely, there were the beginning, and seeing some great coaches that I had through growing up made that possible on me. And it's realized that why I wanted to get into this field is not just to get someone bigger, stronger, faster. That's the outcome. It's making them better. Like, making them better perks and making them a better human being. Like, that's the biggest picture. That's what they did to me. And that's what I want to do to these high school, Mm. you know, and college athletes. And, you know, definitely my wife, I remember we're about to go out to dinner, and she got a phone call from one of her athletes that tore ACL, and she sat there on the phone with her for, like, an hour and a half. And I'm like, what the fuck? We're going to dinner, you know? Like, And she's like, realize when you just tore your ACL, how big of an experience was that for you? And I'm like, it was the end of my world. She's like... That's what she just experienced, and I'm here. I got to explain that to her. It doesn't matter what time it is, where we're going, what we had to plan. Like, that's the athlete that I need to take care of because their world just crumbled. Yeah. And that's when I was like, wow. You know, like she's not a great business owner, but she is a great physical therapist and a great you know mother and wife. And that's definitely who I learned from a lot and helped us develop, you know, the Ripped experience and Ripped system and. You know, obviously when I first graduated, Martin Rooney was a huge influence on me and Todd Reich out there in California and Dan Path and learning from those experiences and Gary Calvert, learning how to, you know, become a track and field athlete. But it's everything, like Adam said. Like, you know, you learn from the guys that you're in the trenches with and, you know, develop, help develop you are and make you who you are
0: today. Great stuff. So guys, another question I always get the guests answer or ask them to answer. Don't get them. You can't force you. Uh, is in terms of the the good and not so good things you currently see within our profession, so within the physical preparation, strength and condition profession, whatever semantics you want to put on it. it so, uh, w- w- what is the good and not so good that you're seeing? And another way I, I phrase this is, what makes you proud to be in the physical preparation profession? And then what makes you not so proud? And then with the not so proud, what type of solutions might you offer? Uh.
1: I think what makes me proud is like starting to, you know, I just was out at Perform Better Summit in California. That's right. John. And listening to these great coaches and it's everyone speaking the same language and saying the same thing, maybe a little bit different, but the holistic approach is the same. Like getting people, making them better people and that's the outcome. That's the what we're here for, getting them to have the self-esteem that you're training this you know, could it be a housewife that's, you know, out of shape and really doesn't has low self esteem and next thing you know in three months that she's feeling better about herself. And that was like, you know, that's what we're doing with high school athletes. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Like this girl comes in with low self esteem, her shoulders are rolled, and you know, next thing you know, three weeks later her chest is up, her shoulder blades are back and you can't get her to shut up. And it's just building that self esteem within them. And that's the beauty of, you know, where I feel like our profession's going. Now the negative side is what really hit me was one of our athletes was going to open up a barber shop and what the process to cut someone's hair is way more difficult or challenging than it is to open up a sports performance facility. Yeah, fuck it is. Like, and it was just like yeah. you're cutting someone's hair or you can actually physically do damage to someone training them. What should be harder to do? Yeah. And it's like seriously He's like, yeah, you have to have a year's license. You have to go through all this red tape to open up a barber shop, But just any slapdick can open up a gym. And it's like that's where it's like something's got to change.
0: Yeah, yeah. Adam?
2: Yeah. Nice one. That's a tough Thank one you. right there. So I think from a different side of the coin, you know, what it makes really. me proud <laughs> is we don't settle. I, I admire that about our profession is True. that we are always – in the constant pursuit of knowledge, right? I think we've been around people that work in professions where it's just a nine to five, or a three to 11. And they don't want to open anything, they don't want to touch anything until Monday, or Tuesday, or whatever their next day of work is. And so as I've grown through the profession, I've noticed that it doesn't get any harder, it just gets easier, right? Now you've got webinars, you've got summits that are always free, it appears to be and even if you do have to pay for it, you know, it's ridiculously low, there's always this aspect of getting better, you can catch, you know, look at their Instagram, you know, there's photos of Bobby, you know, watching professional development with the DVDs, because he can because he's watching the kids right now, you can do that. And so that's what I'm proud about is being part of a field that's like, we're always learning, we're always moving ahead, we're always trying to get better. On the downside, though, like I think Bobby alluded to is, as much as we're speaking the same language we're also dividing ourselves a little too much and if we realign ourselves with what the purpose of our field is in career it's it's to get people better and you can slice it dice it saute it broil it all that good stuff from forrest gump however you want but what happens when this association is created and then now this association and then now we have this certification and we have this certification and then all of a sudden at the same time we've got kids dying out there because they're pulling these resources from this guy and this authority figure because they thought it was a great idea or this certification. And where where is the value in all of this? And so as much as we're getting better in terms of physical preparation and science and the ability to read and conceptualize these concepts, we're also splitting away from everybody and we're not aligning ourselves because the high school needs to have their section and the college needs to have their section and then the personal trainers need to have their section and then the fitness business entrepreneurs need to have their section. And now on the other side of things, I'm seeing that a little bit more. And that's tough because at the end of the day, we just want people to get better. Mm. But why do we have to put this price tag or this membership or this mastermind on it when we're losing sight of the end goal? So that's kind of how I'm doing things right now.
0: Great stuff. All right, the the big question, (laughs) not the big question, In terms of your, and I'm always uh, careful of the words here, because I remember one day I said the word philosophy to Buddy Morris, and he nearly fucking ate me. I don't have a fucking philosophy. I have principles. But if I was to ask you guys, in uh, in terms of ripped in the facility, what is rips training philosophy And if you want to replace the word philosophy with system or with principles or whatever the hell you want just to keep everyone happy because I remember referring and said the same thing because I don't have philosophies and principles so It's like okay whatever you get what I mean but in terms of your overall training philosophy or system like what does that look like so I mean you guys can get into as much detail here as you want
2: start it off coach oh you got this one so we got something called the uh, commandments of the Rip program, and Bobby is the guy that goes over this with passion and detail, and just overall, I mean, just
0: just, just one one real out. one one real quick thing that actually reminded me of one thing I had to say to you because in your presentation you spoke about the seven commandments, and one yes. one of them was no negative body language, and you were yes. saying, you were saying like hands on hips, hands on knees, because I I interned at Altus uh, last November to February under Sue McMillan, another great mentor, and another great friend. Uh, and one thing Stu would not tolerate was arms folded. If you had your arms folded, like, he would... And he wouldn't... Stu's not a person to get angry with. He would just kind of give you this sort of, like, look. And it was, like, real... And it, we, we had this discussion we were like, what's wrong with arms folded? Because sometimes you'd just be cold. And he's like, he's like, arms folded. Instantly screams, not interested. And, they, and then it was so funny because anytime time we caught... Anyone with their arms, so even Stu, like sometimes is, like, oh, is, that, is that a folded arm? And then he changed it like maybe to this, and he's like, No, this is all right, this, this means you're pensive. <laughs> but it was just funny, it just reminded me that you know, in, in and in another world class facility like they're big on body language and position too. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's the culture that's what comes down to it, and huge, you know, after we assess our athletes, we bring them to the seven commandments and we let them know, like, this is our culture. And
0: can you bring us through to seven? Can you yeah, bring us through to seven? Yeah, absolutely. First one is
1: change your mentality. You get to train here, not work out. And why we say you get to train here is you're an athlete. We're here to get you better at your sport, and we're not here just to hop on a treadmill and get that six pack. We're here to get you bigger, stronger, faster. Make you more athletic. Number two, prepare. You're either early or excuse me, you're early or you're on time. So if you're earlier on time, if you're on time, you're late. So, we ask our athletes to get here 15 minutes early. We phone roll, we sign in, we pull our card, then we get ready for the rib session. So, we go over the daily news. Number three, believe. Believe in us, believe in our program, believe in yourself. The power of belief is huge. Yeah. Either you think you can or you think you can't. You're right. So, if we got to get them believing in themselves, in their ability, and next thing you know, their self esteem starts shooting through the roof. Number four, commit to the process, train in the moment. Little things lead to big things. Focus on the present. So we do group training. So when you're here, we need you here. focused, paying attention. And when I'm talking, you're not. Number five, we want you to become better than you when you started than when you finished. So, excuse me, we want you better than you finished and when you started. So we want you to become a better athlete, teammate, person. So we're going to learn life lessons in here. We're going to hold you accountable. We're going to get you to get your foot past the line. You put the dumbbells back correctly every single time. And, you know, that influence definitely comes from my track and field background is, you know, I was a javelin thrower, and you can have your thumb wrong on that, you know, Mm. implement, and it costs you 10 meters. And it's the little things done correctly every single time is what we need to do. And number six, the big one, eliminate negative body language. No hands on hips, heads, or knees. Never show weakness by letting them know. So, putting your hands on your hips is a comfortable position. We want to get them comfortable being uncomfortable. So, when you go back to your team and everyone's huffing and puffing, you're standing up tall and proud and said, I worked my butt off all, all season.
0: Yeah.
1: And then we do understand it is a habit. So, one hand equals one burpee. And 68 burpees is the record in one rip session.
0: Jesus Christ. Yes.
1: Which leads us into our next point, number seven. Don't be afraid to fail. Afraid to be great. Fail forward from learning from each mistake. Great stuff. So three out of every four ripped athletes have been with us before. So if this is your first season, you're going to make a ton of mistakes. But we want you to learn from them and realize that's the learning process. You're going to make mistakes. But we just don't want you to keep making the same mistakes.
0: Great stuff. And then maybe talk about your your training system now. You guys – one thing that really resonated with me, and you, n- neither neither of you said this in any presentation I've seen, but you guys seem to really pride yourselves on slow cooking your athletes. Like your your guys were extremely detail oriented not skipping any steps, and that resonates with me because I I've been I'm known to be like a real stickler. Like, say, like, even just teaching the back squat. Like, I'll have an athlete repeatedly get the walk in and out of the bar right. Because that fucking annoys me when people take it out with shitty technique. Just to drive me nuts. And it's the exact same, too. I'm very lucky that Nicole Rodriguez, who was at Mike Boyles, who was at Exos, she was really the person who taught me um, movement skills. And, like, Nicole is like, "Hmm?" like, if if it ain't good, you'll fucking know about it. And, and, and I, that was always a good thing, too, because if Nicole was giving you a hard time, it meant she cared. She meant she, she thought you were worth her time, basically. But, like, she just dialed in good movement me. And so I'm the same, like, with, like, set and base. And the way you guys always teach the hinge back and and obviously, like, the, you, you guys do your version of your set and base and deceleration mechanics. So, uh, yeah, maybe just get into more of your training system and then your appreciation, maybe, for this long-term, athletic development and slow-cooking the athletes.
2: Yeah, I think... From my perspective, it comes down to the adage of you either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Oh, and for oh, I us, like
0: that. I like that a lot.
2: For us, it was, it was no question because not only were we a business, but we were coaches as well. But if we weren't coaching it, something was happening and thus that would turn into advertising. or That would turn into marketing. Yeah. And I remember giving my wife a, a present when we were both coaching in college. And I think it was a Christmas present. And it could have been a quote from, you know, Coach Michael Boyle, but essentially it was about like your athletes are uh, a reflection of your coaching. They're a direct mirror, right? And so when it came down to slow cooking things, I'm like, okay, if selfishly I want a great reflection, which means more business, which means better athletes, better sustainability, better whatever. I have to make sure that they know how to do it right. And what's the best way of doing things right is obviously slowing things down, right? Yeah. You look at any type of skill development, right? Uh, and I'm very fortunate, I do a lot of work with precision nutrition now, and everything comes down to skills and drills. We all f- force ourselves to try and learn these drills, right? The three cone drill, the L drill, the back squat, the French contrast method, etc. Those are the drills we're all chasing after. But what are the skills we need to work on daily, work on weekly, work on just regrouping ourselves, right? So let's come down to jumping, right? The drill is the long jump. The drill is the vertical jump. Well, what are the skills? I need to absorb force. I need to work on my body position, et cetera. And so for us, it was a no-brainer because we're working with kids. And fortunately, I had some experience working at the highest levels and saw the model and the collegiate model of like, all right, we're taking a kid that has no idea what college training is about. How do we prepare them to be the most efficient, the most explosive, the most injury resistant and resilient athlete when we need them most, right? When they're an upperclassman. And so I was able to see, you know, variations of the block zero method that, you know, Joe Ken has popularized, but just looking at how he trained his kids and putting it into practice and being like, we can do this. Where do we want to go? And then let's just work backwards and let's take our damn time doing it because there's no rush. Because like Bobby said earlier, if if 75% of the kids that are going to come into the facility and train with us are going to come back, guess what? If we get you at 11 years old in our middle school program, now there's a mini-REP program and they're at 8 or 9, right? Man, this could be a 10-year commitment. So do I really care what you can do now or do I care about what you can still do in 10 more years? And look at at ourselves. I mean, we're both dads. I mean, we're not training as hard as we were when we first opened the gym. I can tell you that much. But we're still training, and that's important yeah i think the biggest thing is like we get away with who we're really working with and we have athletes
1: coming into our facility that never been into a weight room before yeah so it's like you just take for granted as simple as picking up the bar and it's like break it down all right thumbs right where the smooth part ends wrap your full thumb around the bar chest up troll blades back slight bend the knees pick the bar up correctly and it's just we knew the little things needed to be done so we can get to the big picture at the end exactly and it's like we got time. We have 12 weeks with yeah. them. So we're going to slow it down, especially that first month. And it's definitely not what we're going to be putting on Instagram and not what we're going to put on Facebook because it's not sexy. That's not what's selling. But next thing you know, in two months later, now we're on phase three and the athletes are changing direction really fast because of the, all the slow cook process that we did and we got them into the correct positions. That's where it sells.
0: Yeah. it's And, again, it's – I think that's why the the presentations I saw from both you guys resonated with me because I, I am, whether it's consciously or subconsciously within me, like you said earlier on, Bobby, the little things, like they lead and bleed into the big things. So, like, right. for for instance, one real good thing that I had uh, recently, I, I, I was a teacher at a personal training college for 18 months, and one thing I really appreciated from that whole experience was, like, such simple questions would come up that, you re- you, you'd be like, do you know what? I, that's such a simple question that I, I never actually thought about the answer. Like, how do we yeah. teach our students to pick the dumbbells off the ground? Like, right. and, and get in, like, I know that sounds silly to people, but, like, because we, we had to train a repeatable system to, like, students that were coming to be personal trainers. And we would have, like, and, like, how exactly do we teach the back squat? Like, how exactly are we teaching people to walk in, rack the bar, take it out, set up, what words, how we verbalize it? How exactly do we take out a military press? Like, man, like, things like this that you're just like, what do I actually do when I take out the bar in military press? Never, like, these small things. Right. And see, in the back of your mind, then, if you put so much de- attention detail into that, like, it bleeds in, then, to the more important things. Like, so then, when you're saying, now we're doing, like, our change of direction work, like, it's much easier to get the athlete to buy into See the way you cut there, and we have to get your hips low? That's because it gives you that extra, that extra, like, half second. And to them, that, that, like, goes, yeah, of course, because, I mean, if you're telling me that even picking up a dumbbell makes a difference, well, this definitely makes a difference. So, it bleeds right. into these things. And another thing I, uh, I appreciate, too, I had a coach, and his big thing was, like, the water bottles, like if you were if you went in and took your water break and you just threw the bottle on the ground. And like we we would have a guy like we call him the kitmen, like so they kinda of do all like the lugging around and like I remember one day the coach went nuts at everyone. He was like, That's so disrespectful to Joe there, the kit man and he's like, Don't ever do that again and he says all he is and you know, the usual thing made us do fucking laps, but we never did it again and it was just like the, those little things, like if you disrespect Joe, you're going to disrespect yourselves in the last five minutes of a game when we're a point down and you don't have the balls to go for it because you don't have that attention to detail or demand those high standards. So I, yeah, I
2: build, on, I build on that right there. Yeah. right, Like right there. I, I'm a homeowner. Bobby's a homeowner. I don't know if you own a house, but are you going to hire a carpenter if he just leaves his tools all over the house? Exactly. Yeah. Are you going to hire an electrician if he just throws his tools into the car? No. <laughs> And so I see that, I look at reviews, like the power of reviews and little things about it. he took his time, he checked in with us, he asked if it was okay to turn on the saw, he cleaned up, he swept, he did this, that, the other, like, you hit the nail on the head, like, Bobby and I pride ourselves on the lessons that we're going to teach them yeah. in training, carry directly over to life. Okay. It may not build character, but this, it's our job, and it could be different at professionals, right, those guys are there to, to play ball but with youth athletics if we can get them to understand why this is important and how this carries over to something else that they're going to do that's an instant success and when you get those emails and you get those instagram reviews and you get all those comments from their parents that's when you know we we, we targeted them and we got what we're looking for
0: and, and can i ask you, in, for both of you guys is is this mindset something that developed in you guys over the years because i know for me personally like uh, like I, I probably was I had a lot of those traits that I, that I wouldn't be proud of now looking back, but I was young, like it's all part of the growth process, you know, like there was, now actually I I was actually always a person who did put the water ball back, but things like saying coaching, like little things, you you said a great thing there on, you either coach it or you let it happen, and I know exactly what you mean, it's like there is that split second decision where you're like, if I don't, like, if I don't coach this now, and I let this go, this is going to be a cancer. Like, I'm, I'm gonna, it's like when you give a, you know, you give the dog the bone, and it's like, ah, uh, and then you try and to take that bone back there, saying, we need to regress here, because when it came push to shove, you didn't do your job as a coach, you were like, ah, oh, just let that little thing slide, the knee's buckling in, doesn't really matter that much, does it? You know, there's like little things, like, and, and then, like, as you grow, as you get older, like, those fucking little things really matter, it, it was that a case with both you guys that, maybe earlier in your coaching career, if you look, look back now, you're like, yeah, there was times where, if, if that was my standard now, I'd be very disappointed.
1: I think, yeah, I mean, we always look back and we realize what the hell were we doing or thinking at that time. And then it's like it's developed into what it is today. And it's just, you know, just like even with my son, it's like, if I don't say something now, what else is he going to feel like he can get away with? And they're just, <laughs> that's what it is. They're going to continue to push the levers to try and get away with it. And that's where it's like, you got to set the tone right now. This is what's going on, this is how we do it.
2: And you don't, and you don't have to be a prick about it. I think that was a mistake a I had done early on in my career because you're a young coach, you're trying to prove yourselves. I mean, I, I took over a, a one of the worst programs in Division 1, and I was 24 years old. I was the youngest one in the nation, and everybody's advice was go in there with the reins pulled tight. You cannot go in there with loose the grip because you can always loosen them up, but you can never retighten them. And so there were a lot of things that I just I wasn't very empathic about, I wasn't very understanding Mm, mm. about it was my way, or it's no way. And so as you get older, right, with every process, as we continue on, we learn to be not so much forgiving, but you get to be a little bit more understanding, right, that one athlete that showed up late, you know, you don't throw a plate at them, you'd be like, Hey, what's going on? And then you come to find out something really bad is happening. So, you know, you're going to discipline them accordingly, it may not be equally, but you'll find a way. And so, I think it comes down to just looking at everything, and it's a spectrum, and you have to know what your upper tolerable level is, and you have to know when to intervene because yeah. that's just, that's how life
0: is. So, just uh, just a few more questions, and we'll wrap up. In terms, then, just uh, at RIT guys. So, I'm I'm a young athlete, and I turn up, and like I'm brand new. What does that process look like? So Bobby I know you said there's an assessment so like right. like, what does that assessment entail? What does it look like? Is it movement screening? Do you do any performance indicators? And then the actual training session like is it you know is it your usual corrective foam roll? Then is it like dynamic warm up, plyo med ball speed? Is it some Olympic liberation strength and condition? Is it that type of model that like a lot of facilities have? Or is there certain other ways to go about it? And then in terms of how you you set it up, do you guys do ten week blocks? Is it three weeks Every three weeks you change your program. and How does that look?
1: Well, that's a mouthful right there, but I'll uh, attack this one. So <laughs> how that, starts off is together. we go around the high school season. So we have a fall, a winter, a spring, and a summer season. And we do 12-week blocks for the fall, winter, and spring. And then we do a seven-week block for the summer. So that's just evolved around their high school season. Okay. Because we have to, especially for the summer, we got to wait for them to get out of school. Then beginning of August hits, they're going back to camp. So what we want to do is get the next season. So right now, the fall, we're getting all basketball players in, or we're getting athletes that just play lacrosse or baseball or softball. So we get them in. Do we get them assessed in during those, like, in-between periods? Because obviously there's more weeks than that in the year. So say, like, in the end of August, we're getting all the assessments done at that time to get the athletes ready for the fall season in the spring. Or excuse me, the in September.
2: What
0: what, what does the assessment entail, Bobby?
1: That's what the assessment I'm about to go over. So we get them in there, basic dynamic warm-up, and then we do four basic tests. We do a vertical jump, on a just jump pad, a long jump, a 10-yard sprint, and then a 60-yard shuttle. 5-back, 10-back, 15-back. They come back, then we get them on the wall, teach them proper body positions, going through our marching and skipping, and we bring them into the weight room. We do some isometric body weight exercises, an iso-squat, followed up by a plank. We do that three times, then we go into a split squat position there, hold that for 10 seconds, and then we do a iso chin up or we do a TRX row. Nice. Then from there we go over to the Seven Commandments, go through that, and then we teach them how to foam roll at the end. Ask the athletes to show them this is where we sign in, this is where your card will be. We want you to foam roll before and after each rip session. Show them we have a card right out there where they're gonna hit the areas for the certain day. Then we bring their parents back, discuss how the results went, let them know how our system is going to go through the next three uh, months, and then we go from there. And it tell you what, man, it saves you so many headaches when you slow it down, bring the parents in, let them know that we're organized, that we care, we're here to make that their son or daughter better, and lastly, we're educated. There's a science behind what we're doing. We're not just getting up on the board and, writing up what we got for that day
0: really the a, yeah I go, Sorry, so I really liked your idea of the ISOs first off because I really right. utilize ISOs teaching uh, first off teaching positions I think they're so underutilized you see when they throw people in right three sets of ten just concentric centric and they're like Bambi I'm like how we you just like get an isometric on there they're so under trained right. that they will get a stimulus from and they're gonna get some motor control from it you know well
1: that's the biggest thing is getting down in that position next thing you know you're holding that ISO squat for 20 seconds and 10 seconds in, their knees are shaking, their chest is dropping, you know, they're on their toes, and you're like, we got to slow this thing down. <laughs> I remember when Adam first started that, I was like, man, that's too easy. And then the next thing you know, we bring the athletes in, and they're getting smoked by it. And I was like, holy crap, yeah. yeah. So that's what we needed to do.
0: Uh, if, for anyone listening or watching, is uh, go, uh, just get up right now and do like a, a 60 second isometric in a Bulgarian split squat. Or even just even yeah. just go thirty seconds each side. It's just like, you know, it's one of those when you when you're doing it, you're like, why do I hate myself so much? Why am I doing this? Right? Why is time so slow right now? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's great. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a good uh uh. And mostly would it be like a three day program? With most of those athletes or two day in season, three day then if they're off season or. We want to get
1: them off season, so definitely I would say probably ninety five percent of our athletes do two days a week. Yeah. And then we get that you know, dedicated football senior athlete or you know, dedicated athlete that does the three times per week, but very rarely. In this past winter, we had almost 380 athletes, and I think nine of them did three days a week. Wow. So, and,
0: and say for a little more of your advanced athletes, um, would they start, would it be after dynamic warm, would you go into their plyo, med ball block, and then some speed work, and then with your speed work, do you split it into linear and multidirectional days, and then is there any Olympic variations involved there, and, along with their strength work?
1: Yeah, so we'll do a 12-week, you know, phase 1, 2, and 3 same. every month. And then what we do with our athletes is everyone's doing the same dynamic warm-up. So we slow it down day one straight ahead. So first step quickness, breakaway speed, and we alternate. So we start off with max velocity, teaching the body positions. Yes. Then every other week we go into acceleration. So we'll go max V acceleration, max V acceleration. And then the day two, that's when we'll work on that lateral movement, change of direction, more of a defensive position focusing on that athletic
0: base yeah and i heard you on a previous podcast i'm trying to remember the podcast that it was who it was with um and they, they asked you that question why do you guys teach max v mechanics before acceleration and, and and you were saying that you know you felt just because of of the the body postures that it, it transferred over more and ken clark Absolutely. ken clark actually had mentioned in the podcast that i listened to as well and he said he found out to be a very interesting concept that you guys spoke about um, so that's interesting And how did you guys come to that conclusion or come to that idea
1: I mean Adam really had that strength background and mine was more of the speed and agility background so we kind of just you know came up together and we seriously just got Starbucks and we sat on a big grease board and came up this is what our system nice. and to be honest it's not that far different than what we do today yeah. when we first started off and you know it was just in the beginning of my learning my coaching process is like seeing the athletes like Yeah, we got to learn to accelerate, but they're just, you know, anterior rotating at the hips. Like the hips are going back because their core is not strong enough. They're not learning that position. And it's like, why am I beating my head against the wall trying to teach them this 45-degree position when they can't even get an upright position? Yeah. So once I started teaching the upright position, teaching the marching, teaching the skipping, they started to realize the concept and then it just
0: transferred over into acceleration so much faster. I think that forty-five degree angle thing is one of the most dangerous fucking things that has ever been perpetuated. <laughs> it's like yeah 45, yeah, forty-five degree when you're a world fucking class hundred meters sprinter is just like. If you watch anyone who's not working last minute, none of them get near a 45 degree angle. And that was something Stu McMillan told us too. It was like, he's like, the one of the worst cues is get lower, because then they force it, and then they get that anterior rotation, and they start rounding Absolutely. as well. And he's just like, let them incline to where they have the capability to incline. And Obviously, if, if we're talking about a young or weaker athlete, or someone with a low training age, that, that angle will get deeper over time due to just having a bigger physical or a strength buffer to get into those angles, but he's like, just coach with the angles they can handle for now, like, but, yeah, that 45 degree angle thing is just, uh, just, and then um, also,
1: too, they're going to be getting into max velocity even faster because they're not strong enough to hold that acceleration, acceleration exactly, exactly, so, why are we
0: not teaching that, yeah, and and that's, that's the, uh, the, the, the one, because you guys, I'd be interested to hear either of you guys taking this, is for years, and and Coach Boyle was the person who would have said this too, and I've had discussions with Mike about this. He's like, oh, we don't do any max velocity stuff. And I I was like, you should, though. And he's like, yeah, but field games is all acceleration. I'm like, yeah, but hold on. You're talking about the acceleration continuum from a track and field perspective, where it's like 0 to right. 10 or 0 to 30 is acceleration, and then 30 outwards is max velocity, or you know, or they keep accelerating to six meters, but you get what I mean. But it's like field-based athletes, don't have that strength. Second of all, they're not starting from a two or three or, four, or a, from a three or four point start. They're usually upright walking. So like and a field-based athlete's acceleration is only going to last like five meters, and then they're already upright into upright running mechanics, and they, and they're going to hit right. their max velocity a lot quicker. So it's was like, yeah. they absolutely should be trained. Like I was just like, it's boggles my mind. Where oh, it's an acceleration sport, field games. So I was like, yeah, but the distribution of like their acceleration and transition and then absolute the speed phase is like sandwiched into this. Whereas in track and field, like it's like you know, it's the whole it's spread Absolutely. out way more.
1: I think that's one of the mistakes that we look at is like that we take the great from track and field, and don't get me wrong, but we don't put it not into context athletes. Yeah, and like you're coaching them like a track and field athlete, and you're like, and I remember bringing in my track and field coach from Mammoth, and he's like, "Are the kids getting faster?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "So what the hell do you need me for?" I was like, "Well, I want to make sure I'm doing it right." He's like, but "You are. They're getting faster. That's it. You're doing it right." And yeah. it's like you don't have that confidence because you think it needs to be track and field, but it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. just force production. Produce the force into the ground and hold the positions.
0: Yeah, it's about, it's about, taking, it's about taking concepts and then applying them to your context. So, Absolutely. Uh, but so I, I don't want to give you guys much longer, so will, it just wrapping up here. In, in terms of, and Adam, if you have anything to add to that, you can, you can fire away. If you have anything to add to that. Why don't you get
1: into the strength, coach? You know what I'm
2: saying? <laughs> well, let's oh, here
1: do we it. go. Oh,
2: damn. Get that second cup of coffee let's go so in terms of you know as bobby had explained everything was fully integrated right we're looking at the big picture we're looking at acceleration we're looking at max velocity we're looking at deceleration you know diagonal running etc and so it was important for us when we designed the strength program to kind of do the same thing and when i talk to parents i tell them look i don't want them to be a master of this only one thing, or just these, like, I want them to get kind of a general studies degree here, because my job is for them to just seriously kick some tail, and then get to college, and their college coaches to be like, you know what you're doing, because you can do Olympic lifting, you can do your primary power lifts, you have Mm -hmm. great unilateral control, you have great body position, great movement skills, and to me, as a performance coach, that was what I was really striving for, is to make sure that when our kids left the facility and they left the area and they went away, one less thing they had to stress about was the weight room or was the strength and conditioning. And and that's really the pride of our work is getting emails and texts from coaches or kids and being like, yeah, I did this. It wasn't about being the strongest. It was about having those fundamental movement skills. And so when we designed the program, you know, for us it it was athletic based. It had to be geared around movements. It's not muscles. I mean, we're not even gonna get into that argument. But you know what, we had to make sure we covered all of our bases. And so we stuck to a traditional model. You know, I had experience with the tier system and changing some things up around. And, you know, I had done some, you know, dynamic effort work and submax work and maximum effort and, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so let's, let's know who we're working with. And so we stuck with the traditional model because that's who we're working with. And so our, our base template is, is a two day program. The the first day, you know, after forty five minutes of uh, dynamic warm up and movement and our plyos for the day, you know, we've got about thirty seven minutes or so of lifting, and we wanted to make sure that we could be efficient about it. So, as big as the facility is, it gets pretty busy and it gets pretty packed very quickly. And so, how can we structure our program? And so, for us. You know, it was a uh, essentially a seven-exercise type of module. It was an A block, which is reserved for our power and our mobility. So we would do, let's say, a day one would be some sort of snatch and a jerk variation, and then we would pair that with some sort of corrective or mobility or activation that would help our next primary movement. And so for day one, that would be, let's say, you know, snatch and let's say some sort of hurdle mobility or glute activation, because on day one, we wanted a squat. So whether that was goblet or landmine or front or back or split squats, we wanted to make sure that we were ready for that. So that would be our day one A block. Our day two A block would be some sort of clean variation because we wanted to be damn sure our kids were going to be very good at that movement because a lot of our college programs were still utilizing those variations. And then we would do some sort of, you know, posterior shoulder or, you know, making sure that they were ready to get ready for bench pressing or primary push on that day. So A block, you're looking at some sort of Olympic lift variation and a mobility or corrective. Our B block was a triset between a primary lift, such as a, a double leg push or a horizontal press, something of that nature, or a single leg push. And then we would triset that with some sort of core. So we do a lot of anti work because we want to get the kids in proper positions. So you're alluding to isos and eccentrics and tempo. So we do a lot of work with that mm-hmm. anti extension, anti rotation, anti lateral flexion. And then whatever our primary movement was, we just complemented that with the opposite side of the body. So if we were squatting, we would do some sort of vertical pull, right? If we were benching, we we're doing some sort of light curl, you know, training the posterior chain. And then finally, we get to our C block, and that was really, you know, where are the gaps? What are we missing? So do we need a single leg push? Do we need another horizontal pull? And to make sure that we're balanced. And so... I love to get them three days a week. Our, our college program was actually four days a week for a number of years in the weight room, and then we listened to our athletes and It's like, what are you missing? What do you need more of? And so our four day performance program became three days training and one day of extensive conditioning and intensive workout on, on a field because we had kids running deep tests and shuttles and longer duration activities. And so we looked at our C block and said, all right, where do we need to fill in the gaps? So our C block was reserved for you know primarily unilateral work and you know things that we may have missed because. As much as we just want to focus on squats and bench and deadlifts and presses and pulls, you know, athletics are very chaotic. They're very dynamic. And we had to ensure that all bases were covered. So, you know, we nail all that out in about 37 minutes. That gives us anywhere between 8 and 10 minutes, depending on the time of year. Obviously, if it's preseason, we're spending a little bit more time there uh, to do some conditioning work. And, you know, is it on-the-field shuttle base? Is it off-the-field prowlers and ropes? You know, it's it's all about creating a, a dyna- dynamic way of changing things but if you have a template you can do whatever you want and so we could have advanced athletes doing speed squats with chains we could have novice athletes learning how to goblet squat Uh, and we could have intermediate athletes doing your traditional five sets of five but at this time in this facility we are all squatting and that's what really helps set up the dynamic for the coaching success the athlete buy-in and the culture that we create
0: to this day. Yeah, great stuff. And uh, just what you said, everyone was squatting there. I used to say that to like a lot of students, they who were you know they they would be very green to program design. And I'd be like, guys, it isn't actually like rocket science. Either it was like you came in and saw me train a beginner, a professional athlete, and a six-year-old client. They're all deadlifting, and then they're all in their head. They 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 immediately think straight bar deadlift. I was like, no. The young kid is learning the kettlebell deadlift. The professional athlete's doing conventional heavy, and the old man is sixty and he's he's doing a proficient trap bar deadlift. But they're all doing hip dom- you know, a, a bilateral hip dominant lift that day. Like so, yeah, it's good that you hear that. Uh, just a little bit off that in the in the longer sort of the development of the athletes. Do you kind of look at this sort of, we like to build, you know, a lot of volume earlier on in the athlete's career, so like isometrics and slower, higher repetitions, eccentrics, a uh, bit of work capacity stuff. Do you do like any tempo type stuff, you know, like Joel Jameson tempo method, like two up, two down, or or do you do any like extensive sort of work capacity work uh, with with the athletes, assuming that they're not doing a ton of additional sports conditioning outside in the gym. Because one thing I saw, used to see it boils an awful lot, was, the athletes would come to us in season, and then like you know, it boils most athletes' Had condition after they're lifting. But now, in fairness Mike would always say if they're if they're doing a ton of sport, no condition, none, 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 none. But you'd always get these athletes going. I need to condition. I need to condition. And we'd be like, no, no, no more, no more stuff. But for the athletes that that could afford maybe to do some condition, did you like did you start them off with more extensive stuff earlier on in in their sort of training career, and then maybe get more to extend or intensive methods as it went on. Maybe even over over the course of the career and then even over the course of the training block itself, probably.
2: Well, and I think that's an important differentiation there is the training block. Because what we wanted to do from college experience, right, is you wanted to set your annual plan. So you had to say, all right, well, this is our off-season program, this is our in-season program, and this is our Mm. recovery and rejuvenation program, and then this is, you know, and it turned out, like, We had to do the numbers and look at the data and then we found out that hey in a four block model so spring and summer and fall and winter we had an athlete that was only going to train with us twice so it was their two off seasons and so we got caught up especially i did because i was in charge of the program design of like well this has to feed into this and then we have to overlap here and then the training residuals and then i'm like i'm not going to see you for 20 more weeks and so who knows what you're going to do so once we listened to our wives, because that was a common theme in our, our story that we try to tell people, is like they were right the whole time. Is you know we kind of had to start over a lot of the time, and you know we start off with lots of volume, you know your traditional sets of eight, and you know basically linear periodization, sets of eight for a couple of weeks, sets of five for a couple of weeks, sets of three. And then I got bored with it, and then, you know, Cal Dietz had come out with his triphasic model, so I'm going through that, and then my wife's like, it's tempo training, we were doing that at Boyle's, and I'm like, yeah, but it's so much more, and then I'm, she's like, no, it's not, and I'm like, yes, it is, so we kind of met in the middle, because that's what good partners do, and so, you know, we took a lot of Cal's work and really simplified it, because we're not doing heavy eccentrics for six seconds with 80 plus percent of our load, we don't have 1RMs, you know, I remember writing Excel programs with formulas, and I'm like... And you missed two weeks because you had finals and sat prep and so i really don't know what the hell your max is so for us we just again kept it simple it was progressive overload and then what we found working with them especially because a lot of them were female athletes being new to the weight room is you know they always responded better to volume and you're going to have those guys that they need that cns intensive mechanism right they need something a little bit more speed or a little bit more heavy so we'll work that in but we always started with what's the base level of volume and how can I do that? So if I start off with five, well, can we ask them to do the same way and do it for six next week? And then the third week, can we have them do eight? And then if they're feeling pretty good, you know, damn it, we're going to go off the script and hit a money set. We're going to do as many as you can. And then we reevaluate. So for us, it was about, you know, reestablishing what was important. It was that base. It was that foundation of repetition. And then once we knew their plans, hey, I'm here in the spring and summer, cool. Well, once we get closer to competition, then we're going to have some fun. And that was a a really great opportunity with our college program because we could do some really cool stuff. I mean, the college program, you know, we're doing dynamic effort. We're doing pretty advanced Olympic variations. We're doing French contrast. We're doing clusters. We're not doing that with the 15-year-old yeah, field hockey player yeah. that just started training. And there
0: were energy to some stuff. How did that look if if, if you got a chance to do any of that?
2: Yeah, so that was a, a development itself too because we're really confined to our facility and the time, right? So, listen, I, I love Joel Jameson. I love the model of, like, we've got to do more than just intervals, but, you know, right? You come from a, a Coach Boyle background, all you need is intervals, right? And so – we had to accommodate that the science but we had to accommodate our kids schedule like you said i've got AAU basketball four days a week Well, get you're not running with us yeah, exactly, we're yeah. gonna do extra mobility we're gonna do extra corrective we're gonna do extra strength because you're just running away all these gains that you're looking
0: exactly for. yeah
2: so in our model again and i'm not saying this is the way i'm saying this was is our way for the situation that we're in in the facility that we hold our business yeah. and so on day one was our linear speed work, so we did a lot of our, our shuttles on there. So anywhere between you know, let's say ten and forty yards of active shuttle work and changes of directions, and we would vary depending on the types of kids we had. Were we modifying based off touches? So how many changes of direction? Are we going for distance? Are we going for heart rate? You know, we we got into Coach Boyle's stuff with the heart rate work, and you know, I've got a my zone strap, and I saw no, you know, Bobby did a lot of that work this year with a lot of the advanced groups. So you, you know, go. we're talking about that. Our day two program, you know, a lot of our kids are always doing something else. So that just became a non-impact day for us. So then we did a four-week rotation. We had bikes. We had prowlers. We had ropes. We did bodyweight circuits. Uh, we did anything we could to keep them off because what we were seeing is kids were training with us. They were going to the court. They were going to the field. And then you got stress reactions. You got stress fractures. You got kids not recovering. They're not holding onto their weight. And so we really looked at it as, look, we can crush you. We really can. we're really trying to give you the minimal effective dose here because we know we're we're the negotiators we're like look you got ap classes you got aau you got this club tournament what do you what's the bare minimum you need we can always give you more but if you go too far right like cal says it well we're stress managers if we don't manage the stress appropriately i would rather be the guy to like let go a little bit so the parents could do something else. the have to do some more. Then us to push it, and then we get the phone call. That yeah. was too much. you
0: don't da, get that moment, da, da, Dan Faft had a great saying. Has a great saying. I should say. He says, "I'd rather be a mile undertrained than an inch overtrained," because he he feels he can make up for being undertrained more so than yeah. having to peel back the. Recovery. And when
2: you look at when you look at overtraining, I think Brandon Marcello said this. It's not even an aspect of overtraining. It's about yeah, and under recovery. Yeah, under recovery.
0: That's what it is. That's what it is. Like, what it is yeah. yeah, we see with our kids. Our kids. Soon as they
2: get done with us. Boom, they're on their phone, they're out the door. And we are harping on them, breathe, just take five minutes and, like, calm down. Yeah. Like, foam roll, stretch, cool out, grab your shake.
0: Drink some water, go to bed. That's it,
2: man. So it's, there's a lot of components. So in terms of energy system, uh, you know, for us it was very intensive, you know, rest-to-work ratios, you know, two-to-one, one-to-one, three-to-one, four-to-one, everything was dependent as much as we could based off the primary season we were working with. Yeah. But in our summer, we took a really more, uh, I won't say scientific, but a more detailed approach because we had a lot of kids that were field sport athletes, and we had to get them ready for their conditioning test. But we also had you know, two football soccer fields to work with one day per week. So that opened up a lot of opportunities for proper energy system development.
0: Bobby, you wanted to say something there, did you?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, like, the tempo and pace of our system, of the 90 minutes. Like, it's nonstop. Like, yeah, we're going hard. All right, we're working mechanics for seven minutes. All right, go grab a drink. Now we're going to integration. Now we got the application. So the tempo of the 90 minutes, that's where they're going to get, you know, fit and get in shape and work that work capacity. Yeah. Especially once we get into that weight room, you know, it's nonstop. Like we're doing those tri-sets, we're doing super sets, and, yeah. you know, there's no sitting around recovering. And I it's, think
0: that, no, that that's a point that actually came up on the strength coach website. I remember Deb McConnell was saying it. Actually, Deb McConnell is a f- like, I actually visit Deb McConnell, and he he has he runs one of the most impressive strength coaching programs I've seen. And I've been to a lot of facilities in Ireland. Is
2: you yeah, UMass Lowell?
0: Yeah, UMass Lowell. Like, it, it yeah. was phenomenal. Like uh, And I, I said – like, I, I've i been to a lot of, like, I've been to a lot, of, a lot of the Irish rugby provinces. I've been to a lot of places in America, you know what I mean? I've done a lot of traveling. I've been to good places in Europe. And still, his his program setup was one of the best i ever seen. Like, it was so self-sufficient. Like, the athletes just ran the whole thing. Like, he had to interject, like, only twice, like, uh, throughout the two hours I was there. Like, the athletes just ran it. It was just, it was amazing, like. But, uh just go the reason why Devin came up was Devin said that in strength coach form about like they were talking about like this aerobic development you know this kind of 120-150 beats getting this low work capacity work in and he was kind of saying what you're alluding to Bobby that he if you look at the average heart rate over the, the 90 minutes of their weight room sessions like they were getting a lot of that work in because they were constantly right. moving so it was kind of always fluctuating in between that guys just just wrapping up here for for the listeners Adam you've got a lovely bookshelf there behind you my bookshelves are, are right here which, which always makes me think, if I ever have to fucking leave Ireland, which could be happening, because I might be getting a, a job in the States, I'm like, oh, in the middle of shit I have to bring with me. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, in terms of top resources from both yourself, Bobby and Adam, uh, what would your top resources be to the listeners? And, and the resources could be anything. It could be a book audios, podcasts, uh, a person, a course that you've done, and it, and it it can be anything. It can be life as well as just coaching. It can be anything at all. Nutrition. I know you do precision nutrition, but it can be anything. What would your top... I think
1: the two biggest things that I always get all our interns or we've got our interns to read is the first one's the Fred Factor. And I think, you know, going through that is it goes through how a mailman delivered the mail and how important all the little things are. And with our interns... In the beginning, like, if you're not sharpening the pencils right, if you're not putting the chalk in the chalk bowl, how am I going to give you the responsibility of running a warm-up? And if you can't do the little things right, how am I going to trust you that you're doing my program or our program correctly? So I think that was, like, the first thing that we got all our interns to read. And then the second book was John Gordon's The Carpenter. And the big things that he instills there is love, serve, and care. And... That's what we wanted our interns, those two books, to realize this is our culture and this is the way that we're going to develop our athletes. And you can tell the interns that have read it and the interns that haven't read it. And this past internship, we had six interns, and two of them I could tell didn't read it. And I was like, all right, you got Thursday, Friday, and the weekend off. Read these books because you didn't get it in. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you're not doing the little things right. You're complaining about – being well, the, doing these processes and if you're complaining about doing this you're not coaching the athletes and they came back and they're like after that weekend they're like you're right we didn't read the book
0: Yeah. yeah. and
1: this is I'm glad that you made me read
0: it I'm not, I'm not going to lie you two guys scare me I hate to see you two guys pissed off
2: <laughs> there was a lot of good cop bad cop and I will say for the record
0: uh, Adam's the top. bad cop
2: yeah. Bobby plays a good cop much more than I do. But, um, you know, I, I'm not going to give you any direct recommendations. I am going to say, though, to get outside your element and read things that you normally wouldn't think of, mm. right? Because we just we just get so tunnel visioned into getting the latest, greatest scientific method of training. And you have to stay on top of that. But a lot of the stuff, and I think Brian Mann talks about it all the time, is everything new that's coming out, it was something that has been recycled. Somebody just rediscovered it. And so... But look into books on leadership, look into books of communicating, look into books of psychology and philosophy, because those are the, the pieces of glue that hold coaching together. Yeah. Study the art of coaching, because we have years of programs, years of changes, but there's a lot of commonalities between them all. So once you get the foundation set with your programming and template, hey, Throwing some sprinkling in there, throwing some some flash and dash and all that stuff, but man, read something outside of just X's and O's, and read some fiction too. I'll tell you what, with a lot going on in our life, a, a nice fiction retreat does the body and the what whatever parasympathetic, sympathetic, central nervous system, governor, regulator. Just have fun, man. Enjoy. Read something you don't have to highlight yeah. all the time.
0: It's funny too because one one common denominator that I've seen. With anyone who's a master in their craft, is that they are generalists. So they have this massive uh, foundation of being a generalist, and the more they become a generalist, the more they become masters in their specialty. So, like, you I mean, you talk to like a Faft. a Macmillan, a Boyle, a Caldeet. like, uh, like, like all these people. Like, they read such, such, like, diverse fields. That to the to the novice or to the beginner it seemed like so disconnected and disjointed. But then when you mature, you're like, shit, everything's just fucking connected. And the more I can, like, widen this this foundation of uh, being a generalist, the the better I become as a master in my own craft. So it's like the better the better you get to become a generalist, the more you be, you, you get better at being a specialist in your craft. So it's one common denominator I've, I've seen an awful lot of. Uh, well,
1: going on that point, like, I remember when I was a young coach and I took a track and field education course. And then I was just straight, you know, throws, javelin, that's all I did. And then when I took that course, I was like, oh, shit, all the events are so similar. Everything relates back to the same principles. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I'm not just a javelin thrower. I'm an athlete. I can jump, you know. I can throw. I can run. I can do hurdles. And that's when it was like, that was mind-blowing.
2: Yeah. And
1: not to give them a plug, but, you know, Adam got our staff on the PN Level 1 and that was a real game changer, I felt, for myself. And that really, you know, I didn't learn anything different, per se, into nutrition, but it really opened my door of becoming a better coach. Yeah. And they did a really great job with that program, and that really made me see the other side and really made me get, I guess, uh, see not see different angles of athletes instead of just the
0: traditional that was the whole, that was the whole reason I took I, took, I did PM1 3 years ago but that was the whole reason I took it was for the coaching aspect Like yeah. and I'm a nerd, Like I love the nutritional science and I have to say, I, I've said this I can see that that, <laughs> that, uh, that textbook is one of the best textbooks I think Like even the, the way they put the science the first unit I thought was really good, I love that and then the coaching psychology aspect is excellent I, I, I think PN are a fantastic resource just wrapping up there, guys, in terms of your top advice now to everyone, like, life advice, what, what would you say to the listeners?
2: Go uh, start off. Damn. You sure? Because every time I start off, then you complain that, oh, I'm hey, going to capitalize on that. Yeah. Three words, fill the dash. That's something that is something very personal to me, but essentially, you know, one day we're going to be done. And we're going to have a gravestone, a tombstone, a memory, a eulogy. And we're going to start and we're going to... Not me, I'm
0: getting Everything... cremated. Get the fuck out of here.
2: <laughs> Everything between that is going to be that dash. Yeah. And so what you do and how you do it and the relationships you build and the lives you change or however you want to go out in this world is comprised into that dash. And so find out what it is, chase it relentlessly, understand it's going to change and it's going to change again. But know that at the end of the road, man, you're going to have something to talk about or you're going to have something to, uh, you know, really not share. And so my, my encouragement is as a young coach to, to go out there and, and fill it with as much positivity and joy and life experiences because when it's all over, you're going to want people to remember all the awesome stuff that you were able to accomplish. Great stuff. I think going
1: off that is just leave a legacy. And what legacy do you want to leave? past. And I remember when my son was first born and I was like, man, I want to start putting some money away because leaving him a legacy of financial. And then it's like, that's not the legacy that I want. It's the legacy of, you know, making him the person, you know, a reflection of yourself and making him a better person, but also with your athletes, like what do you want to be known for? Like, what do you want to be, you know, when you're done or your time's off, and they're going to the university, and they're like, they come back to you, and they're like, it's just not the same. And I'm like, why? Because they're like, they're not you, they're not you, they're not Adam. And I'm like, they're not going to be. This is who we are, because that's the legacy we wanted to leave: is that energy, that passion, that love that we brought each session made them who they are today. Yeah. So leave that legacy.
0: Great stuff, guys. Okay, we're going to dinner, and because there's two of you guys, we have ten spots: five for Bobby. Five for Adam. Uh, I'm just coming along because I just like to be there, you know. I'm the connector. Uh, but if you guys could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, Ooh. who would you bring to dinner and why? Five people,
2: that's a lot. I don't know if I want that many people. Well, it's going to
0: but... be ten if Adam's there too, you know. Yeah, five. shit.
2: By the well, way, you're I'm, you're, you're, I'm you're, playing the safe card here, man. Well, i got to take my wife and kids because anytime I go out to eat and they don't eat, I hear about it. So that's three right there, all right. And then you know what, Uh, Bobby, I'll let you take the next three to give you some time. Yeah, I mean, definitely got to bring your wife, you know, got to bring my wife, but
1: I think I would love to have dinner with John Gordon, Nice. and that's definitely one of the offers that uh, Adam led me to, and just hearing his story about how he was, you know, in the food industry, and he was down in his luck, and he just knew, like, this is what I wasn't here for, and took a completely 180 and went on to motivational and writing books, and I would love to sit down and have dinner with him and hear his passion because I know it's been an influence on myself. So that's definitely one that
2: I would want to eat with. I'm going to build on that. I believe kind of in the power of John, but John Wooden has you know found his way into every coach's playbook oh, yeah. and handbook and principle and – you know what more to go to directly to the uh, you know the horse's mouth and really learn from a true legend. So I, I don't know. I see your John Gordon, and I added John Wooden. I don't know if yeah.
0: you I don't know if you guys have ever heard his two part interview with Tony Robbins, John Wooden. It's on the Tony Robbins podcast on iTunes. It's phenomenal. if You haven't listened to yeah. it, okay, Bobby? Come on. Um,
1: next, I'm going to go a little off script and go with uh, Will Smith. Oh, you know, yeah, uh, nice, yeah. nice. I would like to have dinner with him as well, too. John Wooden, Will Smith. You can see yeah. those, I can see those
0: two getting along, yeah, John Gordon. It, you
1: know, definitely uh, I like uh, everything that he stands for and believes in and, you know, definitely an actor that I like watching. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: I have a lot of respect for him, too, yeah, yeah, definitely. So what what are we up to now? So we have we have our... We have wife's
2: kids, wife's kids so we and we have... I got one more. So I'm going to uh, go with Joe Ehrman. And if you haven't read any of his stuff... Insider Coaching, yeah, it. yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, a guy that I was able to meet, get a photo with, I was presenting at a national conference. It was actually the first time I was able to present on the things that we do at Ripped, And it was uh, coaching, communicating with today's youth. Uh, it's actually the NACA videotaped, and it. it's free online if you want to check it out. But... Uh,
0: the he up. was a keynote
2: speaker that year and he sat in on my presentation and I'll never forget it and he came up to me after it was done and he said, You are the future of coaching kids, and what you're doing is exactly wow. what's right with it. And that was just I mean it was a it was a true life moment. Hair, so hair spend in the back some
0: time the with them and get it. Yeah. Jeez, that's uh, that that gives you a little chill down the tingle and down the spine, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. All right, Bobby, when we
2: see that, we see that. What, how many? We've got two left, two positions left, haven't we? Uh, uh, oh, you got one yeah. more, Coach. That's it. One more three plus three plus one, yep. So
1: yeah. More. Um, one, you know, uh, an athlete that I really respect, even though I'm not a fan of, I'm sure Adam is, but uh, Tom Brady, I think, uh, you know, I would like to invite him to the dinner as well, you know, with all his experiences and background and his athletic success seeing how he made it, and uh, his wife's pretty hot too, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have you got any left on him? Is that it?
2: That's it. I'm done. I know my limits. I know when to (laughs) hold them and when to fold
0: them. Can't stop that. Gentlemen, that was uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, Sorry, the one question I didn't ask was about mistakes and lessons, but I'll tell you what, I'm definitely going to get you back on because they said, I want to fully watch through your presentations. I would like to and i I want to fully watch through your your uh, complete jump training system so i 've watched your hands on presentations from uh from the c s p s from two thousand and sixteen that was the, that was kind of the presentations I was kind of going off today in terms of getting a feel for your coaching and adam I knew a little bit about your background from previous interviews um i knew you'd done some playing with Joe Ken and and uh and I obviously knew true Mary Kate as well and knew she was up Oil, so i'd heard some of your background before. But i definitely like to get you guys back on, particularly talk, maybe we'll get we'll get more into details in terms of maybe get down into like more of the programming and the strength and the progressions and again this concept of like the, the long term elect like development which I really like, the details you guys go through and for any of the listeners, if if you get a chance, I don't know if Pat Beat has them even on sale anymore, but the, the, the Complete Speed Power Summit, like again the the hands on you guys done was so good like it was just like again the details it. because i was watching I was like i like these guys they're really into it. like they're, they're like even like the cones were color coordinates like that that green is all that line is all green cones that line is all blue cones i like this yeah i think uh, it's kind of like I, I think we all have a we're probably have a, like a bit of like savant in us or something like that you know, like, you know everything has to be in order but right. uh I, it definitely resonated with me. Just your your hands on the way I like you got everyone together. Explain what you were doing. It was just really good. You're, you know, you could tell that you guys like just coaching is just woven into your blood. Like so, it was great. So guys, that's it for for me for today. Just anything you guys want to add. Obviously, uh, plug ripped. Um, you know, tell tell people you know, where they can find out more about your website Facebook, Twitter, social media any products you have, I was actually only on the RIP website today and wow there's some great information there, blog posts, articles and you've got links to a lot of your stuff so anything you guys want to add on there
1: yeah I think always uh, the website and social media, follow us on Instagram I got ripped and uh, reach your potential training on Facebook and obviously our products through Athletes Acceleration I can't say enough about Pat and how that company has evolved and made us who we are today and thanking him for taking a shot on us. But, uh, you know, the coach's guide to jump training and the complete guide to training the female athletes That'd, are definitely yeah. the two resources. And then uh, we have a couple working in the future as well.
0: Awesome. And just for the listeners, RIPT is spelt R-Y-D-T, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sorry. P-P, P as in Paul. Yeah, R-Y-P-T. Yeah. Yes. RIPT, R-Y-P-T yeah adam you got any yes
2: yeah, so that, that covers it from the company and then i kind of dabble in some of my own personal blog writing so i've got a website at adam and you know try to keep up with twitter and instagram and but mostly active on facebook so reach out there and then you know doing some awesome work with pn these PM, days so yeah. give them a follow as well with precision nutrition and you know find a way to make yourself a better coach because that's what we're all trying to do
0: great stuff okay guys uh just for all the listeners, thanks for listening. Make sure you share this awesome podcast. Uh, absolutely delighted to hook up with Adam and Bobby. They were very gracious, uh, getting back to me very quickly, and I. Messed him a few times They were busy as hell Obviously Adam moving And then Bobby was uh, perform better and, like, and I was like Did you get my message like, Yes I not perform better and I'm like Oh sorry I Actually that was on Very late this year Usually Long Beach is on Earlier but that's why But uh, guys thanks so much For getting back to me And to all the listeners Guys thanks for listening Thanks for downloading the podcast As I always say Take care Be well And stay strong Well,
1: Awesome Thanks
2: again coach Thank you